Welcome back to That Rugby Podcast, hosted by the Sports Booth. My name is Luke, that is Husey. Luke, uh, Luke, Husey, as I try and get over the cold that I'm battling, that's obviously yeah. jumbling with my mind. Um, a good win for my All Blacks, what can I say? It was a good win. I, I would not say it was an entire game of dominance. And we'll come on to that when we discuss discuss the game. We've got a few games to talk about this week, though. Uh, obviously the other game in the rugby championship, which was a thriller, um, not in Manila, but a thriller in, um, I can't make South Africa rhyme with Manila, <laughs> but, uh, and we also had some Pacific Pacifica action, uh, with Fiji and Samoa and Japan and Tonga, as well as a little bit of European action with Scotland and Italy, but obviously game of the week that we have to talk about was obviously Bledisloe number one in the MCG. As you said, a win for your All Blacks, who I think you could say second half of dominance, I think for sure. I, it, the Wallabies, I think for the first 20 minutes of that game, were on top. We're matching up blow for blow with the All Blacks. We're ahead on the scoreline. We're running harder. We're tackling harder. Scott Barrett's first tackle there. Incredible read. I think that was a massive misplay from the Wallabies. I'll get on, we'll get onto that. We have that noted down. I know. But first 20 minutes, I think the Wallabies were on top. A few hiccups here and there from Carter Gordon with his kicking. I think the MCG is a unique environment to kick in, but match up well. But then it's the sort of classic things that happens in these games. It was the, I think Sean Maloney on the broadcast said it well, is who's going to flinch first? And the Wallabies flinched first. They let in that try from a mall, a really well-executed mall. Um, and they flinched a couple, couple times when they had pressure on the All Blacks goal line as well, going for them all when it obviously wasn't working and not ripping it out of there quick enough. And then they flinched first. They led in that try from Cody Taylor. And then that's when I think the, the old voices in the back of the Wallabies' head started coming in and saying, we, you've got to make a play now to get us back on top. Otherwise, New Zealand's going to run away with it. And they tried to make the play too hard. And we saw it from players who were characteristically cool under pressure. We saw Marika Corbetti make a couple of mistakes. We saw Nwangani Tawase make a couple of mistakes. And these are two of the Wallabies' most consistent and best players. We saw other mistakes around the park as well. And that's what I think the big takeaway from this game is, is uh, the All Blacks... Uh, I don't think there was a... Uh, outskilled the Wallabies. I think they out-toughed the Wallabies and they out-disciplined the Wallabies, which is what New Zealand rugby is about. That's how New Zealand rugby plays, cold and clinical, and they took apart the Wallabies. The Wallabies gave them an opening, and they ran with it, and that's when they started showing that flair. was once they started opening up the Wallabies, once they got that pressure on, that's when they sort of burst through with more of their uh, attacking skill. Um, and I think the Wallabies will be really disappointed by that because, once again, they've done it done it themselves the referee i thought was excellent in this game wayne barnes i think he called a very agreed. fair game agreed uh very fair game um but yeah the wallabies again they just sort of it's the the mental and physical discipline and and toughness and fitness i think which is going to be that's very hard to turn around before a world cup in two months time yeah I'm, less than two months in fact i'm gonna argue against your point not not entirely. I don't mind you yeah. saying that there's not that big of a skill difference. I think there is a skill difference at that in those one percents. You yeah. know, in those. And again, the way I've started to realize how 
the international rugby is going is there's the teams that can complete the 1%, which I think are the top four teams in the world, and those teams that, that on their day they can, but when they don't, there's that, that's where the difference is. So, yeah. you know, your France, Ireland, South Africa, New Zealand, when they complete those 1% at a higher level than you, they, you just can't, you can't keep up with them. You need them to have a bad day at the office and you complete those 1% at the moment. So I think there's that, that with that, that's See, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to argue back on that because I don't necessarily think that's skill. And I, I think this is actually arguing about, this is a positive for those teams, right? And I say it's, it's actually high praise of them because that's the culture they've developed. That's how they train. That's how they bring up their players. That's what they've developed, right? That's what they've, that's what they've built. That's hard work, right? And there's no substitute for hard work, right? Hard work will beat talent. And that's what I'm saying. I think that New Zealand outworked Australia and have been consistently outworking Australia for recent, for a long time now. And that's yeah. where I think the difference is, is that New Zealand and those other top four teams in the world outwork everyone else. Absolutely outwork everyone. Every, I'd say those top four teams outwork the next four teams, right? Like, or the next six teams, right? In the top yeah. 10, the top four teams, you know, outwork everyone else. Because you look at your your Fiji, your Tonga, Samoa, your Pacific nations, there's a lot of talent in those ranks. A lot of talent. And we see that flair come through. But there's a lot of the discipline mistakes. There's a lot of the toughness mistakes. Um, and there's a lot of that hard work mistakes that they just don't have compared to the top four team. Because, I, I mean, you look at those rosters, they are full of talent, full of physical specimens, but it's that hard work part of the game. And it's not saying they don't work hard. I'm just saying those top four teams have got it figured out. They work hard at the right times in the right areas. They know rugby so, so well. They know what they need to do to win these games. But then to counter out, to counter argue your counter arguments, yeah. then that is a skill. That's a skill they've developed. If you know okay, what I mean. yeah. That's where I'm. I think. Like, I see what I you're saying. I think it's a coaching now. skill. I think it's a coaching skill. But I think it's a and... player's skill as well. Where we get to the point where yeah. these players are able to complete those one percent skills. Yeah. At the level, I, and again, I see what you're. I don't think there's a like. If you said like, especially looking at Rob Valentini and Artie Sevilla, I think two fantastic players to look at. Nick and Nick, there's that. Like, obviously, Artie's got the seven back um, kind of. Uh, background, whereas Rob's always been a classic number eight, big, strong runner. You wouldn't yeah. say that between those two players, there's that much ability difference. Like, yeah. if I watch him yeah. on the field, the I'm way you see Rob's playing, there's not that much ability difference. I just think that it's those one percenters that gets Artie over the line, which, again, as you said, have been built over long yeah. periods of time with the culture and everything. Like, I'm I totally you. understand. But in the end, it becomes a skill point of view because yep. they I'm, can't follow, I'm following you now I'm yeah, following so with you now and we're, we're, we're also, on the same page <laughs> yeah I think it's also it's and I think you're right in saying like the ability is the same level and I think as well it's a it's a coach it's a, it's sort of a unification of coaching team chemistry and individual skill it's it's a unified across those three because you as a team you have to be so much on the same page as well to execute a more kill like what the all blacks were able to execute against the wallabies that is team that's like um i just want to add watching i just want to add yeah. just to, as you continue one more i think depth as well plays yeah. it plays a key part and i'd say that's the fourth fourth yeah. wall of your, your yes, house that's, continue. That's a, Sorry, that's, yeah i think they are a little bit deficient compared to maybe ireland and france is some of that uh attacking skill 
where they can, no matter how well the opposition is lining up, you can inflict a play on them, right? Because what I saw in that first sort of 40 minutes from the Wallabies was really positive, and it's really, especially the first 20 minutes, right? Snuffed out the All Blacks, right? They were able to hold on to that position. They were able to, even when New Zealand had the ball, they forced some errors and stuff in there, which I don't know if you necessarily see that from an Ireland or a France, who I think are my current, I think they're the top two in the world rankings at the moment. And I think that's pr- probably justified at the moment. Totally. And I think New Zealand's right there, but I, I still think those two are um, above them. And yeah. I think that, that was, that was, that's what, that's the, that is something if I'm an all blacks fan, as great as this win is, I would be looking at, at the first part of that game and thinking for 30 minutes, 35 minutes, inlet, without that Scott Barrett read, we're shut out for 30, 35 minutes by the Wallabies, which is, um, which is, which is scary. I'm, I'm not saying that, not, that as in the Wallabies are that, saying it's scary because the Wallabies are good. I'm saying it's like we're the All Blacks. We're looking to win a World Cup. By this point in the game, South Africa had put 20-odd on the Wallabies. I'm not, I'm not too worried, to be honest, as, a, as an All Blacks fan. I'll tell you why. Because of the fact that the All Blacks pl- game plan was quite clearly different to what we used against South Africa. We were attacking that blind side. They were obviously had set up a different game plan and were trying something else. And I sat there and I watched it. And as, as you say, we weren't breaking you yet, but I had full confidence that we were. I just felt like it was that we knew, or the team knew, if we hung around for 30 minutes yeah. and broke those Wallabies down, we would end up winning this game without last them. And it felt like that's what they were trying to do. It was kind of like the old, you know, heavyweight boxer going to a body yeah. early, just getting the hitting the body punches, getting them tired, getting them tired, and then we'll we'll kill them. And then there was that kickoff where they decided to go wide from and yeah. pretty much made a break. And that's when I was like, okay, we're we're really on tonight. Like this Wallabies team's just it's unfortunate for them because they put up a good fight, but once we decided to really flick on the switch, it just felt like yeah, that that was what was happening. It was more of a from my point of view, and again, yeah. Uh, I, I probably should be more nervous from this, but I just felt like we were breaking down our opposition, which to me was really good to see because we're going to have to do that. Like, we didn't do that at the yeah. last World Cup. That's going to be my next question. England, that's going to be my, that's my question for you now, is how confident are you that you can do that? Like, in your pool, you've got, uh, you've got France, right? And the first game got, of, the, of the World Cup is France. Yeah, yeah, that's, you've got, you've got France, so you've got to do that against France, all right? And then if you, look, if you come second in your pool, you've got to then do it against the winner of Pool B, which is either South Africa or Ireland. I'm picking Ireland for that, to, to win that pool. Or if you win your pool, then you've got to go against South Africa and do that. So, look, you've got you've got to do that against um, those, two of those three teams. Yeah. You've got to be able to to, to do that. I, I'm not sure. I would love, you know, I'm always a Southern Hemisphere over Northern Hemisphere, uh, and everyone other than South Africa. So I would love for the All Blacks to do it, you know, as much as it would make you smug and everything like that, I would still, I would prefer that to happen. I don't know if that will happen. We'll see. Again, that's the beauty of this World Cup. We've got some, we've got a lot of quality teams going into this World Cup. Yeah. It's, it's, but, I see what that's, you're saying. That's, that's I think, though, again, a strength of New Zealand, and that's why they beat Australia, is that they... You're, you're absolutely right. That is the game plan. Is you, you ha- They knew they had to hammer the Aussies for for a half 
and then they break open in the second, which is what happened, right? And it yeah. even happened a little bit before then. I think the Wallabies were unlucky with injury, you know, like losing their Sorry. captain and and Tupo, right? So Angus Bell had to go on, who had a had a fantastic game, by the way. I think Angus Bell, one of the lone bright spots for um, the Wallabies, and him and Will Skelton. I think Skelton is cementing himself as one of the best players in the world right now. I my issue with Skelton, and it's not it's a good issue, is yeah. he was your jackler for the ball. He was your jackler. Like it's if anyone was going to get a steal, it was him. That's the issue for the Wallabies. I Tom Hooper tackled his heart out, made thirty tackles, missed five, didn't get a single jackle. You were missing a Fraser McWright, uh, yes. Michael Hooper. Uh, I just sat there and I was like, when Skelton, who all credit to him was. You could see him iron up breakdowns with that height and just being able yeah. to get over. Strong body was in good positions. Was doing like again. It's it's not a bad problem to have for scouting. This is my problem was the fact that he shouldn't be doing that as a weapon. He should be doing that at opportunist moments. Mm. And you have your Hooper and stuff using that as a weapon. It was just uh, I just saw. I was like Hooper, Tom Hooper is nowhere near a breakdown where Scouting was. So yeah, that was a big one thing I noticed. I was like. And I, I have to say, I was disappointed we didn't see, I, at least I don't, I can't even remember seeing Lange Gleeson in this game and Rob Valentini shifting to six. Um, well, that's because Lange Gleeson wasn't on the bench. I thought he was on the bench. No, I thought he was supposed was, to be on the bench. Um, Rob Leoda. And he came on. Yeah. Like, I, I see, I, I would, what I would have done, I like Rob Leota a lot. I actually probably wouldn't have put Jed Holloway in this game. I would have really liked to see Rob Valentini at six and Lange Gleeson at eight. Yeah. Um, to just, you know, I, I like I love Holloway. I actually think he's probably a better second row option at the moment for the Wallabies than uh, Nick Frost is, um, because I think uh, Skelton and um, Richie Arnold are guns. I think yeah. they're both excellent when they're on the field. Not 100% sold on Nick Frost. I think he's all right. I think he's all. Right. I think he's serviceable, and for pool games he'll do fine. I just I don't trust him in the big moments. Um, sort of similar to a Matt Phillip, but I think he's better than Matt Phillip. I think um, he's better than Matt Phillip. Uh, he, he's not a Dean Mum type. Like he'll actually yes. do yeah. something for you. He's just, he's just. I think Holloway's just a better option. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I really, yeah. I, I would have liked to see Gleason get in there um, because I think he's another one. Of, I think he's a hammer, and I think when you go up against New Zealand, you have to hammer, right? Because that's what New Zealand did to us. That's what we did to New Zealand for thirty minutes. Um, but then we didn't have enough left. And I think you're 100% right about the depth situation. It's going to be interesting with this one coming up with Alatoa definitely out. Tom Lambert's been called up. I actually rate him pretty well. Um, he played well for the Waratahs this season when he was on the field in place of Angus Bell. Um, Taniela Tupa, I haven't heard much about since the game. Wait to see what that was. But it look, at least it was a different issue to what he had. It was a rib issue. I've had rib injuries. Fucking painful horrendous. I don't know how he's going to be able to play and it, they suck and they take a while to heal. So yeah. I don't know how he's going to, how he's going to go. He's going to have to tough that out or get some cortisol injections before every single game in a halftime or something like that, because it is or cortisone, I should say. Oh, I don't actually know. It's what it's caught or something, but cortisone, I think, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know what cortisol I've heard cortisol as well. I don't know what that's for. That's probably uh, some like eye medication or something. We're not doctors. Yeah, we're not. We don't come to us for medical advice. Um, uh, yeah, because I'm the fucking idiot that broke his ribs and then went and played a full season of rugby. That's not smart. Um, which meant I broke my ribs again the next year. So I would that, say we're not going to see a lot of Tenniel Tupo into the rugby world cup. I don't. Yeah, and I think that's again. for the best. I yeah, think yeah. put him on ice, get him healthy again. Get him into bubble. Um, yeah, and even 
yeah, I don't know. This this next blood is low. I think Eddie's just got to keep tinkering, keep moving pieces around, and see what he's got in some other some other pieces. I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of changes in the squad this week, just to see, just so he sees what he's got, see what he has. Um, I think, like, yeah, other some other positives from the game. I think, look, the three best players for the Wallabies were Bell, Skelton, and Valentini. Uh, I don't think any of the backs had a great game. No one can need to watch a somewhat, but not his finest performance. Probably one of Marika's weakest performances, but I think that was not just him. I think that was other things. Um, Carter Gordon was decent. I think he's a tough one to be thrown into. Um, I think we sort of saw what you said was, was right, was that when you're thrown into the quadrant with the pressure, it can affect you. I think we saw that with his kicking, right? Although I think a little bit of that's to do with the MCG. You know, the, the players weren't, none of the players, and you actually said this as well, none of the players were allowed on the ground in the days leading up to the game, New Zealand or Australia, because of the fucking AFL, exactly. right? So that's, you know, you're not getting, you're not used to that environment. Where it's a totally different stadium. It's an AFL stadium, not a, a rugby pitch. Um, and that you could see that he was in the first half when the wind was not with him, that the, the, the kicks were offline. I think he did well with ball in hand. I think other than his kicking, he did well with ball in hand. Um, I think he was decent in defense as well for what he was asked to do as a 10. I think he needed some more support from his forwards um, as, you know, your half and your fly half need. You know, you need a little bit of support sometimes. Can't all be Luke Bowden's, um, you know. <laughs> Uh, I think he was all right. Tate McDermott for me was actually disappointing. I think he had some poor decisions, especially the either the first or the second mall. I think the second mall when New Zealand stopped it, he should have taken that ball out of there much earlier. He could have taken it out of there and um, gotten it away. Um, he he made some good. He, what I liked is that he tacked the line a bit, and same with Carter Gordon. Um, and I still think the pair of them were better than the Nick White and Quade Cooper pairing. Um, really? Quade, Quade, for me, I don't know. It's just, I think his age is showing through. He's just not providing anything when he's there. I mean, yeah, the game was sort of fucked by that point. But in the last two games as well, we, we've seen he's just been, he's been a passenger rather than the driver, which is what you need your fly half to be the driver. Um, and yeah, I, that first lineup, and I know we're going to talk about this. We're supposed to talk about it after all these games, but I'm going to bring it in here. This, the Scott Barrett hit. First of all, excellent read by <laughs> excellent read, excellent read, and a great hit as well. My second point, which is a question, is why the fuck are we running a four-man line-out? Four-man line-out on the five-man right, that's, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Like on yeah. your own try line, like. And I then mean, yeah. oh, it's funny as uh, uh, when I'm playing when I'm playing rugby, it's not happening often at the moment. We're making sick every fucking four weeks. Um, we had a game for West Harbour Thirds up the up the West Harbour Thirds, um, yep. and our hooker. We had the same situation. We went to a four man line out, five out, and I just said that is the dumbest shit ever. So as a first five, I went and stood right at the back of the line out, yep. right at the back, like five meters away, so on the try line. And of course, as every good hooker does, he overthrows it five yep. meters out there. Big number eight catches it, tries to run straight over the top of me. I just bear hug him and make sure I hold him up, and I yep. just said. Look, I said to my hooker after the game, I said, this wasn't a judgment of you. This is a judgment of all forwards who ever go to a four-man line out when you're five metres out from your own trial line. It's just stupid. Like, there's yeah. just so many things that could go wrong. Go full-man, 
doesn't matter what happens, just hit that front pod, take it in, do something. Just, yeah, there was a lot. Well, for for I, me I just, as well, like, imagine if New Zealand steals that ball there and then pack down into a mall. Like, you've got four men there, right? It's just, you know, it, for me, like, I get why you have some forwards out because you want to shield your 5'8", your rookie 5'8", who, to, to, who's kicking out of his own goal line. But first things first, you've got to get the ball to him. Right, yeah. you've got to get the ball to him. That's the, that's going to be your first thing. You've got Samu Karevi. like he's a, exactly. A, he's one of the biggest twelves in the game, so yeah. he can crash it up. Yeah, there was just there was a lot of questions from that play. But like, for me, that for me that one, I just looked at. It, I'm just like, that's so stupid. I I did love that our immediate response from that was to was that Marky Mark break and then the Rob Valentini try. So that gave me some hope there, and that was a positive sign. That what I like about that was the positive of they got behind early, but they didn't let him affect him early like in previous wallabies games they get they're like uh got a glass chin you hit it once and they go down and they just sort of forfeit the game yeah right here they stuck in it but it's about turning from a 30 40 minute squad into an 80 minute squad that's the wallabies next challenge and will they get it done before the world cup i don't know right they're we're extremely lucky we're not in um either pool a or pool b (laughs) um (laughs) So, look, I think our pool or pool D with Japan's so-so performances so far would have been um, all right to be in. But, look, we're honestly in the best pool that we could be in for this World Cup. And I think that that's a benefit to the Wallabies because they get more games under their belt to keep uh, improving and to take some, some positives away from from things and to, to be able to build that. Because it is, it's rough to go with a whole new coach and with a lot of new players, especially in new first five, into the pressure cooker of the rugby championship. Yeah. But and, and we, we you saw put just yourself how... in this position. You put yourself in this position. Oh, 100%. 100% put us... And I think I, I'm, I'm not... Look, when we took on Eddie, I said, we're gonna, we've got to be prepared for some pain, right? Because yeah. he's had these players for like... A, I, don't, I don't even know how long before the rugby championship. Not very long. He started he's in had, March, I think he came in. So, but he, so. but he don't, he's not been able to coach him for that long. No, he of course not. Super rugby's yeah. been happening and stuff like that. Exactly. So. So but, yeah, yeah. He, even that, he's come in since March, what are we, July. So, like, four months he's probably had to really be able to think. Think Eddie's stuff, you know, like get his yeah. get the gears moving and then probably a, a month to get his hands on the players. So, Which is not a whole lot of time. And I think – and. To talk about another coach, and I know I'm sort of jumping all over the place here with our run sheet, but I think all this all conversation is leading into one another, is Ian Foster. I mean, he's done, doing a great job with the All Blacks, but look how long it's taken him to do a really good job with the All Blacks. It's taken him to the last year of his contract, Yeah. right? He's got the All Blacks firing on all cylinders, but he's he's got the players that he wants in there now. He's got them playing the way he wants them to play now, right? And you can't just say, oh, this is the players carrying Ian Foster. I mean, all the players are effusive in their praise of Foster and how he's letting them play their game, how he's managing the game to get them in the positions to do the things right. But that's taken him years to get that. Before that, he's been called the worst coach in New Zealand history, right? So I think, look, there's, I I think it it does take time. And there's a reason they signed him to a five-year contract because uh, they wanted him for... The, the next World Cup's the the goal, right? Uh, even in within this year, the Rugby Championship is pre-season for the Wallabies. He said as much, whether that's covering his ass or whether that's uh, how he views things, 
Who knows? We'll see by the World Cup. But people got to be prepared to go through some pain. Like This is a rapid coaching move because in the world of rugby, things don't move that fast, right? Things take time to develop. Um, and of course, there's pressure on him. You don't uh, lose your first three games of your second stint with the team and not feel pressure. Uh, but I think, you know, I think everyone just needs to relax a little bit. You know, tearing each other's throats out is not going to do anyone any good, right? The period when the All Blacks were at their lowest in recent memory was when everyone was attacking Foster, right? Since everyone sort of eased up on him, they've been doing better, right? Just just take it easy, folks. And um, I follow... Uh, I started following Ben Alexander on Twitter because he sort of followed up, or X now, whatever you fucking call it, because he popped up in my feed. And he had he said something that was really, uh, that struck me as really important. It's like, why are Australians tearing down Australian rugby? And I have an answer for it. It's because it's, it's to make, the people that are doing that, it's so that they don't feel hurt when Australian rugby isn't doing well or is suffering, right? Because they can then point the finger and say, told you so, told you Australian rugby shit, told you we shouldn't have bothered. It's the same people that are like that uh, when you challenge them to a competition, they don't enter because they don't want to lose, right? They don't want to put themselves on the line. They don't want to lose. They don't want to They don't want to seem like they're emotionally invested in this team. But I guarantee you if the Wallabies were winning, they'd be on the fucking bandwagon. So that's why, Ben Alexander, that is why people are shit-canning the Wallabies. It's to make themselves feel better or to make to make themselves not feel pain when the Wallabies don't do well, it's so that they can feel better than the rest of us. And it's a terrible thing. And it is a classic Australian thing. I have to say it is a very, very Aussie thing to do. Do you think that comes from though being let down so many times now by the Wallabies? No, because I see it in other sports, right? You see it in other sports. You know, like that's a long time to not hold on to a blue slope. Like I, I, but we see it with other sports, right? We see it with the, we saw it with the Socceroos in, in, past years when they weren't doing well, when they weren't as good as they are now or in pre- in the last couple of World Cups, people would be like, oh, no, soccer is a shit. We're, not, we're never going to get anywhere. Soccer's not even one of our sports. Oh, why are they calling it? We don't call it football here. We call it soccer. You know, same sort of thing. In rugby league, it's the same with New South Wales fans. Oh, yeah, of course we're shit. Yeah, New South Wales shit. Queensland's better. You're from fucking New South Wales, mate. You know, it's to, to just distance yourself from that. You know, it's, 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 and I see it a lot in uh, Australian sports. It's just, we, we don't, uh, we don't like to, we always like to put in the caveat at the, before something's played, like, oh, yeah, we, I, I said we were going to be shit. So look, I'm right. And so that way I don't need to feel bad about the Wallabies losing because I said they would be shit. So yeah, it's a, it's a very Aussie thing, right? It's a very, very Aussie thing. The old classic tall poppy syndrome type thing. Yeah, Someone's exactly way, right. Yeah, don't want to accept it. Yeah, so exactly I, right. I mean, you know, the Bledisloe's locked away for another year, along with the Rugby Championship for the All Blacks. Um, I'm just quickly to touch on the All Blacks' performance. I am most impressed by the defence because yeah, I didn't think we would hold you to seven points. Um, especially with the way you were looking, like we've said in that first 20 minutes, I think you guys yeah. were better. It was than really impressive points. as a as a fan on the opposite side as well, watching how they just. They, they, and that's why I said like all of the players seem to know what each other were doing. You have to have that level of chemistry and cohesion to be able to have a defense like that. Totally. And then obviously the attack speaks for itself. That's what the All Blacks are known for. Um, yes. But there were four other games on 
And th this is the, and this next one we're going to talk about is why I say the cauldron of the rugby championship, not just the Bledisloe, but the whole rugby championship. Where all four of these teams are quality teams because South Africa at home just beat Argentina by one point. One yeah. point. And you actually made a good point earlier, and we we haven't touched base on it, but I've watched this game back now, and the difference of refereeing in both games. And again, we, we've talked a lot about referees in the past couple of weeks, but Wayne Barnes refereed Great. that game okay. so incredibly well. Um, and, and even look, I, I want to I want to touch here and say, referees will never get a hundred percent of calls right, and there were calls that he missed in that game, but that's fine because he still overall had a fantastic performance and he overall got things right and he didn't inject himself in the game too much. Totally. That's what, that, no, 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 that was perfect. That, that last part, he made the calls he had to make. There weren't many nitpicking calls and when he did nitpick, it was for enough of a reason to nitpick, yeah. if you know what I mean. Uh, whereas, I don't want to say it was bad refereeing in the South Africa versus uh, Pumas game because it was also error-ridden. There was... Uh, um, Quite a lot of handling errors, quite a lot of stop-start. It was a very stop-start. Obviously, the injury to Grant Williams. I don't know if you saw that, but a charge-down kick. Yeah. And I, no, I did see, actually, that, hip, yeah. The hip into his head. Um, so that was unfortunate for his first career start, but there was images of him walking around at the end of the game. But it was just the control of the game was very different. And because of the stop-start nature, it wasn't definitely wasn't great rugby. It wasn't a great product for rugby. Yeah. Argentina really should have won this game the, the way they played. The South Africa, I think, will come away a lot happier knowing with the belief of their defence um, because of how fantastic it was, especially in the second half. They won't be happy where they were on the field for, for the majority of the second half. Yeah, the Argentinians. Yeah, that's not South Africa rugby. And the Argentinians, I think, would have won if Boffelli was playing because they missed eight points with kicks. So oh, uh, yeah. it's a killer for Argentina. But I, I, I remember when I made my, my predictions at the start, I said this Argentina team, especially in that last game, is going to go close because the way South Africa have prepped for all of this, it's all to build yeah. up to that All Blacks game and Argentina might sneak home. They just about did it. Um, but I think they'll go on quite happy. Uh, Argentina going into the World Cup. They've got another warm-up game against South Africa this week. So I think they'll be up, upbeat about their performances. Yes. And look, it's a, it, it just highlights how good this World Cup is going to be with teams like that playing the way that they are. I mean, Pool B, I mean, just Pool A, and, I think Pool B for me is the, the, the pool of this World Cup, right? Because you've got South Africa, Ireland, Scotland, and Tonga, who are now really like putting themselves up there. Like they they they've lost some games, but they they're in all of their games, right? I watched uh, yeah, I watched the final ten minutes of that, so I switched over um, yeah. from the All Blacks to watch Japan versus Tonga. Holy heck, it was some good rugby. Uh, I love what Tonga's doing. They haven't played a like they won that first game against Australia A, where they probably played just about their best lineup. Um, Havili, the I can't remember. I think it's only Havili. I can't remember his first name though, so I'm sorry. The one who plays for the Crusaders just won the title with them. Um, signed with Minor Pacifica as well. He played at number seven for them and just was but a David Havili. Well. No, that's the centre. That's no, no. Uh, nice try though. Um, I think you have the wrong Havili. Yeah, there's there's like three. Or f there's about five yeah. of them floating around. I was um, about to say like Havili. Like I thought he was a. All black. David's in all black. Then there's William, who's the first five for Tonga. And then I think it's Sione. I want to say it's, Sione. Uh, no, Saliva Havili. Saliva, that's the one. Um, 
knew it started with an S. Uh, he was really good. But, yeah, this Tongan team looks good. And if it wasn't nope, for... Nope, that's, that is, that's the rugby league player. Is it? Yeah, that, the, Roos, uh, the Rabbits. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was about to say, um, uh, you know, it is Sioni Havili Talitui. There you go. This guy knows his rugby. This guy I knows his rugby. rugby. Um, it's Luke Bowden. He's a rugby player. I'm a rugby player. Um, yeah, no, that Tonga would have won the game if it wasn't for a try-saving tackle. Japan made a break. Tonga got yeah. an intercept. Was going to be in, in the corner for all money. Um, their team just, they, they defensively have looked the best they've looked in a long time. Just their stars on their team. I'm just like, man, yeah, like you said, that pool... If Scotland, South Africa, or Ireland take Tonga easily, thinking, oh, I've got South Africa or Scotland next, they may get a, a, a rude awakening, I think, especially with some of the players. Via Fafita uh, needs to be paid a million dollars from someone because, holy hecka, he is an incredible player. Um, so, yeah, look, that was they, Japan held on and bet them, and Japan, again, have convinced me that they're not quite at the point that they should be at where they have been in the past two World Cups. Looking at that pool, I go, Argentina's definitely favoured over them and England's favoured over them. And then Fiji beat Samoa and raced out to a big lead. I think it was like 19-0. Samoa brought themselves back into the game, but Fiji, too strong, held on. Yeah. Uh, Caleb Munts, actually, this Fijian team, Samoa didn't name their best lineup, but this Fijian team, I think there was about 17 out of the 23 had played or played for the Judah. So that was really awesome to see in Fiji those players giving back to the team and performing and winning the game. Power with the likes of Sammy Radrada as well. Exactly. That that's, that's what I just sat there. I was like, this is the closest you get to like Sammy Radrada playing for the Judah and just seeing all of these guys to go. Sammy, go come, come back. Come to Super Rugby, mate. Come play for the Dura. You know? How good would that be? Yeah. Fiji's nicer than France, probably. And just quickly talking, Samoa, I've got an interesting. I think I saw someone post uh, Samoan lineup. It could be Samoan lineup of like, you know, like Adi Savir and stuff played for them. But Richie Moong is obviously last World Cup for the All Blacks as a Swede. Then he goes over to Japan. Three years' time, he's only 31. He'll have, be able to now represent another nation. He is Samoan, and I'm thinking 32 at the 2027 20, Rugby World Cup in Australia. I think Richie Moonga will be wearing a Samoan jersey. Yeah, it could. Yeah, could 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 very well be. I think it would be great for Samoa. As well. Totally. Uh, and the last game, Scotland uh, beat Italy in yep. Edinburgh, I believe it was uh, in Murrayfield. Um, yep. Because a seagull caused chaos. The, yeah, <laughs> the seagull. If you haven't seen that, just search seagull uh, Scotland versus Italy. Um, but yeah, they, they won enough. They they didn't name their strongest team and nor did Italy. So just two teams getting the warm-up underway, the autumn summer series as they're calling it. Uh, but obviously, you know, those are the games that went this weekend. But we're obviously going to get back to one main point of this podcast, which is the Bledisloe. So I asked, you know, how long can this run go on for? Is this going to go on for 108 years, as we talked about long pod, last podcast? But I do yeah. want to... Seriously, go like. How do we see you guys actually getting back the Bledisloe? Because I know there were glimpses of it there, but twenty minutes is an eighty, and you've got to yep. do one hundred and sixty. If you know what I mean, one hundred percent. I think that next few years will be absolutely crucial because it is it's a it's a four dimensional approach to it. 
And I say that because I, and I use the word four dimensional um, very deliberately there because time is one of the factors that has to come into this. You're not going to be able to fix it in four months, right? Like people thinking AD Jones is going to fix 20 years of losing in four months. You're insane, right? It's going to take time. Um, and you've also got, because that means that's time is developing players, is developing uh, style of rugby, is developing culture, is developing habits, is developing chemistry. All of that stuff takes time. I think, uh, I think a mistake is to, would be for the Wallabies to try and imitate New Zealand, how New Zealand goes about their preparation, how New Zealand goes about their business, because that's trying to beat someone at their own game and you, you're never going to do it as well as them. Right. Um, what I think, and again, as I said, I started following Ben Alexander this past week and he had a really good thing that I, that made me sort of think was it starts with a lot of off the field things that we don't really think about in rugby. One of the things that we saw was that the Wallabies couldn't do was match it with New Zealand for 80 minutes. And that comes down to fitness and mental fitness. And that's the things the Wallabies need to work on, right? It's their physical fitness and their mental fitness. So I think more training is, is sort of the answer is, is working harder, right? You need to work harder. You don't need to work hard in the same way as New Zealand does, but you need to work harder in a way that, Australians can work hard, right? Australians are a tough bunch, right? We showed it in two world wars, okay? Uh, uh, we showed it in Vietnam too, right? Austra <laughs> Aussies are a tough bunch, right? And so you need to, I think it needs to be taken as a year-round approach, right, for these Wallabies things. I think Wallaby things need to be touching these players 12 months a year, Right? Where you might Eddie might not be coaching in twelve months a year, but they have, and this is this is where it gets complicated with things like overseas club commitments and Super Rugby and things like that, because those clubs will have their own input as well. But there needs there could be collaboration, right? Where you know you have their training programs and you're looking at what they're doing at club level, and maybe you're suggesting to their club, hey, we want them to be doing this. We actually want them to be working a bit harder, uh, like this, and we are paying them, so we do have input on what this player does right they are representing their country so we do have input on what this guy does um you know more meetings with with wallabies coaching stuff and you can do that virtually we've got the virtual technology to be doing that stuff but i think wallabies need to be more hands-on more months of the year if we want to be great if we, we want to be some of the best in the world if we want to be the best in the world we have to out train everyone we have to out coach everyone we have to out think everyone and take it to that level which we we can do i don't see any reason why we can't do that and then obviously redeveloping juniors and sub rugby and bringing up that level of things again and that you can see that they're starting to do that you can see that's a little bit of a trend starting to happen but that's one element that's not the be all and end all that's one element of it so there's a lot of things that need to happen and it's not going to happen overnight might even happen within a year or two years. It's got to be a long-term thinking. You've got to think just beyond the Wallabies coach because it's not all on the Wallabies coach. That's why I'm glad we've got sort of Phil War in there in the position he's in now because he's someone who's been there, done that, knows what he's talking about because as much as people say, oh, you need to have a business background, this business background, that, we've tried that. Hasn't worked, right? Because the business side of things only in sports only goes as well as the team side of things does. 
right? And so you need to get those results better because that's what gets people come back to the game. That's what gets people purchasing the subscriptions and stuff. It gets the revenue back in the game. So you've got to look at it at um, uh, a reloading, right? It's, it's, it's renovating the house, right? Uh, you know, you're changing things up but you're not knocking it all down and starting from scratch. You've got solid bones there. You've got good bones. You've got history. You've got culture. Uh, you've got systems in place. It's about uh, figuring out how to best use those and to update and add new features that bring things into the modern times. So, saying all of that, putting a time frame as we've talked about time four-dimensional, if you weren't to say win it in the next five years, would you be disappointed? Would you be worried? Yes, I think the and as I I'm sort of going to contradict myself a little bit, right? Because <laughs> we we the, the rugby show hired Eddie Jones for the 2027 World Cup, right? So I think that's going to be the the end date of their plan, right? Is you know you go in with business strategies and things like that and say we are starting at this point, we want to end up at this point by this time what do we need to do to get from point a to point b so i think if we haven't won it by the 2027 world cup i'd be disappointed and then because because that's the time frame rugby australia seems to have in mind and then say you haven't won it in five years how many more years before you start to really worry that you're never going to win it again in your lifetime i don't know i just i buy by that point, I've probably drunk myself to death. <laughs> so, I don't know. It, I think it's just one of those. I think it is one of those things where you like, you know, it is. It, we'll, we'll see. We, you know, it'll just make it. I think at that point, I would just take it every, year on year and just be like, hopefully, this is the year that happens. We'll, we'll see. And it'll be like one of those things, like the Chicago Cubs, right? Which you said is the 108 years thing. And we'll just see what see what happens. I think what's great about this compared to the Chicago Cubs is that we're not competing against nearly as many teams. It's yeah. just one team. So the the chances are higher. Yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, let's talk about two more players that I just wanted to highlight quickly. Uh, starting with the All Blacks, Scott Barrett has taken his game to another yeah. level, like another complete level. Obviously, the he's Hicks, always been the 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 third Barrett brother. You know? He's been the, the third Barrett brother and the third lock. When you think about our locks, we've always had yeah. Sam Whitelock, Brody Retellick. He, yeah, other the hit's going to make the headlines, but his just performance the past three weeks and for all the Crusaders for this year, just been out of this world. And I go, yep, he's yeah, one of our two really? starting locks now. I don't know, like, I think Whitelock's going to come from the bench now. I think with the way Shannon Frizzell's playing, you don't need to start Barrett at six. So I just yeah. sit there and go, this team, he's, the way both of those two are playing, and especially Barrett, I just go, man, I even sat there and went, that could be our future captain right there. Like, yeah, wouldn't surprise me just the way really, he's really playing. Really, really well. Yeah. Okay. And then lastly, touch base. Obviously on Carter Gordon. Now you've touched base, we've touched base on him. I was impressed as well. Like I want to go out there and say that. I think other than his kicking game, the Wallabies looked a lot better with him on the field than they did with Quaid. Yeah. I think he does he didn't get many a chance many chances to attack the line, but what he did with his passing and just setting up the forwards, I think for that first 25, 30 minutes, yeah. and again we, we harp on about the first 25-30, like, you know, it's not an eighty minute game, it is, but and I think he missed a couple of key moments, the, the, the kickoff and his kicks. It comes back to his kicks, which with rugby nowadays, you can't lose a kicking battle like that and you can't yeah. make those mistakes, which it's better to make those mistakes in your first game than in your 50th game and it's still happening, yeah. if you know what I mean. Hopefully he learns from it. But I did. I think he will take a lot from that. I think 
anyone that's judging him too harshly off that performance, especially just because of his kicking, I think is jumping the gun a little early. I think he was better in defense than what people were probably giving him credit for as well. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think it's what he was let down by Tate McDermott. Tate McDermott had a few lame duck passes out of halfback as well that skipped along the ground um, or didn't even make it to him and a forward had to scramble to pick it up. Um, that hamstrung a bit of his ability to then distribute the ball uh, as well. Um, yeah, I, I, I think he's, he's, I don't even think, I think just, it's sort of unfortunate to say, I don't think by his own play, he's cemented himself at the 10. I think from Quaid's lack of play or poor play that Carter's cemented himself at 10, but I still think it's positive. I still think he's good enough. I think he's still going to be a great player for the Wallabies. And look, he's, he's, he's very young as well. We've got to remember that as well. How old is he? Like he, he's 22. 22. Look at that. Fuck yeah. no ball. Yeah, 22. <laughs> so look, he's got a lot of rugby uh, ahead of him. Um, and he's got uh, a lot of, he's got uh, another game uh, this weekend. And then he's got some, t- then he's got the Rugby World Cup, right? And he's got those pool games, which are going to be uh, critical. I think actually Australia might have their hardest pool game first because we're playing Georgia. Um, and then, uh, then Fiji, which would be tough. Wales, which, look, I mean, it depends what Wales side shows up. If Wales even shows up and they finish <laughs> off with Portugal, you know. So I think Australia are blessed in that pool where they will have some tough games, but not some horrifically tough ones like in some other pools. And I think that's that's the that's the best thing the Wallabies could have hoped for because it gives them the chance to, to develop over the course of the World Cup. Um, totally. Yeah. It, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it sort of is what it is at the end of the day. What's the point of being overly negative? You know, what's the point of being overly negative? You know what? If you hide yourself away and you never put yourself out there emotionally, you never invest yourself in a team, you'll never ride the high of the wind like everyone else will, and you'll never get anywhere and you sit alone in your basement and be a sook on Twitter who supports the Tigers. So there you go. (laughs) Very direct Uh, attack there at someone. (laughs) Um, Okay, let's move on to our final point for today, which is our overreactions we will take from the Rugby Championship. So heading into the Rugby World Cup, a lot of these obviously will be based on that. Um, my first one, we've got three each. I'll go first, you can go second, and then we'll go that way. My first one is... Actually, can, we, can, we, can you do all three of those? Because all three of mine are linked. So. Okay, yeah, let's do that then. Yeah. That's fine. Uh, so my first one is the game has moved past Eddie Jones's coaching style. Now, this isn't... like To me, I, what I wanted to say here is not that Eddie Jones is a bad coach. I don't think he is. Obviously, his resume is up there. I just think his style is back where it was in 2003. It could work on a team like Japan where where he got success um, because that was a culture that just needed someone to be strong like that. I think there's too many voices, too many chiefs in Australia rugby, very similar to England, and I think just his style of coaching, the game's gone past that where... I don't think it's going to work for the Wallabies this time. That's that's where I'm coming from for my first overreaction. Again, these are so overreactions. Why do, you, why do you say that? What what have you seen in his coaching style and game that makes you? Well, I, I haven't seen a lot of positives. That's, I mean, I watched watching the Argentina game live. Like you guys scored fifty points in this rugby championship. You conceded a hundred and five. Like, I know, I totally understand it's a new coach getting his hands on, but if this happened to Dave Rennie, he would have been castrated. And yeah. the thing is, 
the talent's not bad enough for it to be doing that. So I sit there and I go, you're not that untalented to let in 105 points. You're not, you know, that untalented to not score more than 50 points. So what's going on here? And it's, it has to be the style of play that you're playing to. And I know I, Angus Bell, I think, came out and said, we're just not executing Eddie's style of play. And I'm like, well, maybe it is a style of play. So to me, it's just the way that the, the, the structure and the um, systems haven't worked. That first game we saw it a lot where they were kicking the ball a lot back to them. Yeah. And Eddie Jones has, has talked quite heavily about kicking the ball away and being with the correct kicks and this and that. And I just think this, the, the, the game may have gone to where Eddie Jones but, isn't. I could see that. For me, I, I think it, I'm gr- it's great you brought up Dave Rennie because what I haven't seen is too much difference from this from this sort of thing has happened under Dave Dave Rennie as well. That's what that's what's concerning to me is that even though we swapped the coach, we haven't seen that much of a change, and that has me concerned. Is like, is there something in the players? Is it a culture that it is with currently with with current Australian players that has made things the way they are? I take your point though, and I do see some of those things as well. The amount of kicks is concerning to me, and I think it is a little bit. Uh, too much. I think it's decision making. I think there are times when it works and there's times when it when it doesn't, and that uh, the 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 decision making just isn't there. I think maybe that'll come with experience, but who knows? May look could very well be. Um, and I think you know there is some pressure on Eddie Jones that look by say 2025, if we're if we're still coming bottom of the rugby championship by that point. Australian rugby might look to strike faster than what they did with Dave Rennie because you've got superstars like Stephen Larkham in the wings. Totally. Who is someone I'd love to see BC involved in Australian rugby, in Wallabies rugby. Totally. So that's my first. Again, this is an overreaction um, from the rugby championship. Second one, the Springboks will not make it out of their pool. We've that's talked, a big one. We've talked about how tough their pool is. Ireland, Scotland, Tonga. I see them losing two of those games. Um, from what they've delivered so far in the Rugby Championship. Now, yeah. had a fantastic first game, but again, it was against you Wallabies, so we can't really give them too much now because they got beaten well by the All Blacks and just should have lost to Argentina. I think, again, this is a team that's ageing. This is a team that's backed by the 2019 World Cup. Yes, this is, again, it's an overreaction. I'm, this, I'm, I'm reaching here. It's a bold claim. I know that. Because th- this team could easily prove me wrong and win the whole thing. Like, I'm not saying that they can't do that. But I just think, from what I've seen in the Rugby Championship, I think they're vulnerable. And I, I don't think I've seen South Africa rugby this vulnerable since 2011-2015 World Cup where teams struck. And Japan... You know, conveniently striked. I see. I see the same type of vulnerability, and I think if South Africa don't turn up at the Rugby World Cup with their head switched on, yeah, they get knocked out of the pool. Uh, the last overreaction is Argentina will top their pool. I think. I they, think that's too much of an overreaction, though. It's probably not, but again, they only won one game in this rugby championship, yeah. and they only just won it controversially as well. Uh, I just think. You take away their first game, like we, I'm, t- I'm doing for South Africa. If I take away their first loss to the All Blacks, close win against the Aussies, just about beat South Africa. You know, they've got England in their pool and Japan. Japan, who Japan hasn't shown me much. Samoa could definitely, like, they, they are a surprise package, looking really good in this, this Pacific Nations Cup. But I just look and I go, 
Argentina have shown they can beat England in England, so they can definitely go to France. England are in the same situation with Borthwick only recently getting his hands on the English rugby team. So I just go, you know what? With Checker in charge, Argentina win the pool. I look, I can I I definitely have England as my second rated team in that pool, and they could they could miss out. England could could not make it out of the pool. That's not one of my three overreactions though. So my I have actually sort of one central overreaction with three sub overreactions in that. Uh, and my overreaction is that the Wallabies will make it further in the World Cup than either of the All Blacks or the Springboks. Now the reason for this is just because of the pools. It's because of the pools, right? So Wallabies are in the easiest pool in the competition, right? They've shown improvement every game. I, I think they've improved every game. Might not have been much, but they've improved every game. I think you take the Wallaby squad that was in that New Zealand game and you put him in that game before against Argentina, I think they win that game. I think you take him to South Africa with that squad, I think they perform a lot better than what they did there. I don't know if they necessarily win, but I think they perform a hell of a lot better than what they showed that day. They're in a pool with Wales, who's in the midst of a rugby implosion at the moment. Fiji, who's improving, but I still don't think it's the Wallabies level. Georgia, who's improving, but I don't think it's their level. And Portugal, who... I mean, the Waratahs could beat Portugal, right? Um, <laughs> the Melbourne Rebels could beat Portugal, right? So they 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 should come top of their pool. Then they face the runner-up of Pool D, who we've said Argentina's winning that pool. So that's England, Japan, or Samoa, right? Mm. One of those three. They could beat any of those three teams. They could easily beat any of those three teams with their performances as they've been lately. I would be more scared to go up against... Japan or Samoa than England necessarily at the moment. Really? Have their training. Well, Japan. Maybe not Maybe not Samoa. Come but, on, bud. You lost 2-1 I mean, to them in a series last time you played them. With a, with a different coach. Well, with, I'm just, with, a, with, with the coach, coach that you've got. There. <laughs> exactly. So if, he would know how to beat them. Okay. I'm just saying. Yeah. Hey, I'm just saying. Either, England, either way, I would be confident going... I would. This is the overreaction section, mate. The overreaction <laughs> section. Yeah, but you, so that's not be, what you've said. You've said you're going to get to a semi-final. You didn't say you are going to... Oh, no, that's yeah. the quarterfinal. So I guess. Yes. Yeah, but yeah. you're saying that England, you, your overreaction has gone further than your overreaction because you just yeah. overreacted to your overreaction. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Look, I would say <laughs> I, what I'm basically getting at is that I would be confident in the Wallabies in winning their quarterfinal. Right? Okay. So that gets them into a semifinal where it's a totally different kettle of fish. We then look at my other two overreactions, which is New Zealand will come second in their pool and then lose in the quarterfinal, and South Africa will come second in their pool and also lose in the quarterfinal. That's because in New Zealand's pool is France. Playing at home, we all know France are very good at home. You've been on record at saying that all of their big wins in the last few years have been at home, right? So, they but they're playing at home. It's World Cups at home for them. So, you know, by that logic and where they're ranked in the world at the moment and how they've been playing, I think France wins that pool. That means New Zealand's got to go up against the winner of Pool B, which I think will be Ireland. And then conversely, South Africa will come second in their pool. They'll have to play France in France. So South Africa will lose that quarterfinal. New Zealand will have to play Ireland. Ireland, who beat them 2-1 in their series last year. New Zealand loses to Ireland. Both those teams out in the quarterfinals. Ipso facto, the Wallabies go further. Then New Zealand and South Africa in the World Cup. Yeah, that's a massive overreaction. That is, uh, a, yeah, is the most overreaction of overreactions. Um, I don't think I've heard a bigger overreaction. I brought the spice. <laughs> I brought the spice, Luke. I, you, look, and it's not you, saying. And that's not me saying that New Zealand and South Africa 
are worse than the Wallabies, or the Wallabies are better than New Zealand and South Africa. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying purely how this World Cup is set up. It's set you up. To, it's set you up in a very difficult position. No, it set us up to beat everyone because um, you've got to beat everyone to win a rugby World Cup. I and look, I would say other than Australia, New Zealand is the next team I would rather win it because you're our Anzac brethren. We're going to have an Anzac 15, Southern Hemisphere, and not South Africa. I mean, of all the teams with a realistic chance, New Zealand is second on my list because I'd much rather them than any some Northern Hemisphere pricks or the South Africans. So fair enough. No, look, I, I would I be, agree. I would, I, I would hope New Zealand does it, but it's going to be tough. I'm, yeah, I get it. I just, I just think you're taking vengeance after a tough rugby championship. I think you've, you've sat there, you've had to see three losses on the trot. Yeah, you, your savior Eddie wasn't, isn't delivering, and you've gone. You know what? Bugger. Bugger South Africa, bugger New Zealand. They're both going out in the quarters and we're making it further. I don't know. I mean, you even look at it at, from a mathematical perspective, which <laughs> is what the world rugby rankings are right uh, now. That's where the betting think, odds would be, I my friend. I actually think we just overtook France in the uh, world rankings to go second. Ooh, spicy. spicy. So, so, I think yeah. France at home, though, is a different kettle of fish, though. France at home during a world we're Cup. We're embarrass France. All those mad all right. We will be doing our predictions very soon. All those mad Frenchmen upset about their pay and police violence. They need an outlet, and that outlet's going to be rugby. We'll make sure we do a prediction very soon on this channel, so stay tuned. But for now, thank you for joining uh, That Rugby Podcast on yes. the Sports Booth. My name's been Luke, winner of the Bledisloe from New Zealand, Rugby Championship. That's Husey. We will see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.